welcome to everyone tonight. It's Ten years ago that we graduated. How's that? Thought we'd have learnt more in <laughs> ten, years. <laughs> ten years. So yes, the uh, students, I uh, find out it's Luke, has um, asked that I preach tonight, so it doesn't mean I'm going to die or anything, but I'm just, whatever the Lord's got. If you've got your Bible tonight, I'd like you to turn to Ezra chapter 7, please. Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to read uh, the first, um, just the first six verses of Ezra, just as a starting reading, and then we'll work through some other verses as we go. Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to read uh, from verse 1. It says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, and then it goes through his uh, genealogy all the way down to verse 5. It says, The son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Verse 6, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord his God, upon him let's pray and commit our time to the lord heavenly father we are so thankful to be here tonight uh, lord we thank you that there is a bible college lord uh, we thank you that uh, these students have heard the truth and our uh, lord we ask that you would help us tonight as we open your word uh, lord to find the truth once again so that it would be a challenge lord to each of us but um, specifically lord i pray that it might be a challenge to uh, the students as they move on from college or pursue their studies we ask, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Lord, make the word of God real to all of us and help us to see how this story is relevant to each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Among those Jewish captives that lived in Babylon, there was a scribe by the name of Ezra. And the Lord was at work in this scribe's heart and he moved him to take a return back to Jerusalem. This was the second major return back to Jerusalem after the captivity. Uh, the temple was now standing in Jerusalem, having been built by Zerubbabel, but it wasn't yet fully functional. Uh, the temple needed some things in order to, uh, to fulfil its role. Ezra's task then was to establish the Levites in their relevant temple roles, uh, was to furnish the temple with the necessary tools and the furniture, and then to oversee the teaching of the law, both from the temple and also throughout the nation. And so, if you will, Ezra's role was staffing, equipment and teaching. It's what he went back to Jerusalem to establish. Ezra's qualifications for this job are mentioned in these introductory verses. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to note them. Verses 1 through 5 establish that although he wasn't the high priest of the family of Aaron, he could trace his lineage all the way back to Aaron the high priest. And so he was entitled then to be a spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He was in the priestly line. Verse 6 then tells us, if we have a look at uh, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a scribe in the law of Moses. Verse 6 tells us that he was a ready scribe. I get the picture of someone there with a pen, ready to write. He was a ready scribe. 
But it doesn't necessarily um, signify that. Um, Adam Clark says this, it does not merely signify a speedy writer or an excellent penman, but one who is eminently skillful in expounding the law, a good teacher. Uh, Keel and Delich say, one learned in the scriptures, a one who has made the written law a subject of investigation. And so a scribe wasn't just uh, interested in the law as a hobby or something, uh, they were trained in interpreting the law, they were trained in applying the law. And so Ezra was uh, titled, entitled to that role by being a priest. Uh, he was trained for that role by being a ready scribe. And finally, Ezra was willing. And we read there in verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon. This is really significant because some of the Jews that were in captivity weren't willing to go back up to Jerusalem. They wouldn't leave Babylon. Now, it should be noted that some of them probably couldn't make the journey from Babylon back to Israel. Some of them have been there for 70 years. Some, like Mordecai and like Esther, were probably being used of the Lord in other places in the empire, and so they weren't taken back to Jerusalem. The Lord didn't lead them so. But for a significant portion of the Jews, there was great success to be had in Babylon. It's said by a number of people that Babylon is where the Jews learned to be successful merchants, for which they are now famous. And so some chose to stay in Babylon rather than answer the Lord's call to return and go back to Jerusalem in any of those returns. And this is where I want to apply our reading in Ezra to our current students because I think the application is obvious. In coming to college and submitting yourselves to the requirements of your courses, you've made yourselves qualified for a teaching ministry in the church. That's why you come to college. You try and get yourself qualified in order that you might be a teacher. You acknowledge that there is a call upon your life for some sort of ministry. Even if you don't know what that ministry is, you felt called to have a ministry role in the church. And you have made... Uh, the written law, a subject of investigation, like Ezra did. Uh, it's not just a hobby, but it's something that you came, you invested time into, and you were trained. And when so many others are refusing to leave the comforts of the world to serve God, you made yourselves available. And you need to acknowledge that. Your willingness to study at Bible college is significant. And it set you up for a successful ministry. A graduation day really needs to be a day where you give thanks to the Lord for getting you through what he called you to. It's a day of thanks and it should be. It's not a time for pride, but God would be pleased with your faithfulness for deciding to do something noble. And it truly is. But like many who have gone through college before you, the qualification that you have earned here is not your final goal. You didn't come to college just to say, I'm a college Christian. It's not an end in itself, it's a means to an end. You came to college to be better equipped to teach other Christians and to be better equipped to teach those who are searching for the Lord, saved or unsaved. 
And that goal still lies before you. It's still there. You haven't reached it yet, just as it did for Ezra. He was qualified for the job in Babylon. He'd been called to the job and he was even willing to do the job, but he was still in Babylon. Now it was time to go and do the job. And that's where you find yourselves. It's time to get to work. As we read through the remainder of the book of Ezra, we find that Ezra faithfully discharged his ministry as a teacher among God's people. He's a man to look up to in the scriptures. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't always pleasant for him. I don't envy him for some of the arguments that he had to have with the Jewish people back there. But Ezra had a successful ministry. Now that you have accomplished your goal of being equipped for the ministry, this is where you need to set your sights. I'm equipped, I'm willing, now I need to set my sights on a successful ministry. That's what I want. Ezra was able to secure all of the materials for the ministry that was ahead. He gathered the leaders of the people of the Jews that were there in captivity and got them to agree to the mission. Uh, Ezra led people all the way from Babylon all the way back over to Jerusalem of some four months when it was going well. Uh, Ezra taught the people the law of God and he did a good job of it and made sure that it was spread all the way through the nation. Uh, Ezra intervened. He cut off sin among the people within the country. And very importantly, when others around him fell into sin, Ezra maintained his integrity. Ezra successful ministry and that is something that we should all seek. The question is, how did he do it? We all want to have a successful ministry. But how did he do it? You see, a lot of called, trained and gifted people have failed in the ministry. Graduating college is no guarantee of success. But in this chapter, we can see four decisions Ezra intentionally made which contributed to his success. And they're all found in verses 9 and 10 of Ezra chapter 7. That's where I want to go to just for a a short time for the remainder. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, For upon the first day of the first month began he up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. Our first point tonight is he decided to perceive God's hand. I had to have a tasty alliteration because I knew Pastor Brendan would be here tonight. And so I hate to think of the pressure Pastor Peter's under every Sunday. <laughs> Difficult. Ezra decided to perceive God's hand. This book was written by Ezra. And in this book written by Ezra, we have a running commentary on the cause of the blessings that are found within this book. We have a commentary on why Ezra was blessed by himself. Ezra is very, very diligent as he recounts the blessings in conveying to us the cause of those blessings. He's very diligent in conveying all the praise to God. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6, we read, This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord of God of Israel had given. 
And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. You see, he gives the Lord credit. In this instance, he gives the Lord credit for his ability to gather the required materials for going back and rebuilding the temple, for establishing things. Then down in verse 9, he credits God for their quick and safe journey. Have a look at that. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, because Ezra was such a skillful navigator. No, it doesn't say that at all. Because things just happened to fall into place. No. According to the good hand of his God upon him. That's what Ezra says. That's his testimony. In verse 28, Ezra will go on to say that the Lord's hand provided the leaders to go with him in support. The Lord was the one who gathered together the supporters to go with Ezra. In verse 18, he says that the Lord provided Levites when they looked around and found that they had Levites missing and they needed some. Well, the Lord just happened to raise up someone to come and fill in the void. In verse 31 of chapter 8, he says, The Lord's hand protected them from their enemies and those that lay in wait along the way. How did they stay safe? Well, it wasn't because Ezra was trained to defend them. It was because God's hand was upon them. You see, as Ezra enjoyed success, he was careful to identify God's hand upon him. And I think this is a big reason God allowed Ezra to continue in success. It's because he was willing to say, it's God that's doing it. Someone has said, many people can endure failure, but few people can endure success. I trust that your goal in ministry is to be a blessing to people. But what happens when you are a blessing to people? What happens when they come up to you and say, you're a great teacher. I really appreciate your ministry. What happens if someone comes up to you and says, you were there for me when I needed you. Thank you so much. If you are a good teacher which you've received the training to be, and you are an encouragement which your heart earning to be, you can't say, no, I'm not. That's a lie. And the Lord doesn't want us to hide from pride behind a lie. We can't just lie our way out of not receiving glory. Lying can't be the only alternative to pride, and it's not. The Lord never tells us to take that approach. One verse that I know that others and myself find helpful in the ministry is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. If you're a student, you might want to highlight, underline and put big arrows towards this one. It says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? Who makes you different from someone else? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God has gifted you. And if he has gifted you, then give him the glory as if it's a gift. When he gifts you and you use your gift and it's a blessing to someone, don't pretend that it didn't happen. Give God the glory. 
He wants it. That's why he gave you the gift, so you could give him back the glory. We expect that God will work through our gifts and give God the credit for what he does when he does it. That's your hope, that he will use you. And if you're willing to convey that credit back to God, then he can keep doing it without having to get jealous over his glory. The second thing that Ezra decided to do in his ministry was he decided to pursue God's law. Have a look back there in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Verse 10 says, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Ezra, as we've already seen, was trained in the law. He had his masters in the law of Moses. And if you think about how the scribes trained, he was well trained in the law of Moses. But that wasn't the end of Ezra's study in the law. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. He had already made a commitment. It's in the past that he had prepared his heart. He had already made a commitment to constantly seek the law of God. I will continue. I am going to seek the law of the Lord. The word prepared there has the idea of establishing something. He established in his heart that he would seek God's law. Ezra didn't leave the law behind in his college studies. He resolved in his heart that he would continue to seek it. Now, I totally sympathize with you looking forward to the feeling of no more assignments. That is a feeling to be enjoyed. And I trust that you really enjoy it. No more essays, no more quizzes, no more exams. At least for you, Luke. And you, David. Sorry, anyone else is still going in quizzes and stuff. But as you go from college, establish in your heart that you will continue to seek the Word of God. Don't leave the Word of God in college. In a teaching ministry, the Word of God becomes your tool. You use it to prepare lessons. You use it to counsel. You use it, hopefully, to settle disputes. But just be careful not to associate the Word of God with the workplace. Be really careful that the Word of God doesn't just become your tool. Sometimes it's tempting in the ministry to think that a rest from ministry includes a rest from the Word. That's what I use in my job. Therefore, to refresh myself, I need to take a step away and just have some time for me. But if you give in to this kind of thinking, that the word is for work, your ministry will become very, very dry because you'll stop delighting in the word of God, which is what God wants you to do first. Delight in the word of God in your own heart. Seek the word with your own heart before you seek it for the hearts of others. You need to feed yourself before you feed others. I'm sure you've heard it countless times at college. Don't let the word be confined to your ministry. 
Thirdly, Ezra decided to perform God's law. Look in verse 10 again. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. A simple little addition there, isn't it? And to do it. See, although Ezra was elevated to the place of a teacher of the law, he was elevated as a teacher of the law. That didn't put him above the law. He wasn't that elevated. Every teacher worth their salt knows that the word of God is profitable for all people and that includes the teachers of it. But why is it then that those in the ministry of the word fail to do the word that they teach? Is it because we think if we teach the word of God that we're stronger than other Christians are? Now, perhaps it's a symptom of what we just talked about and that we don't delight in the Word of God in our own hearts and so we don't keep it. When you think of a successful ministry, what sort of things come to your mind? An abundance of converts by the end of it? A church that's bigger than when we started, even though we don't care about numbers? That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Inspiring the next generation to take up the charge of the ministry. Aren't those things that we should characterize as a successful ministry? Now those things are great if that's what the Lord wants and if that's the portion the Lord's given to you in your ministry. But surely, surely a successful ministry at the very least is not disqualifying ourselves through sin. Surely that's where a successful ministry starts. Personal holiness is an important foundation for a successful ministry. That's where it's got to begin. I can use this cricket illustration because we managed to salvage some dignity in the last test. It's not going to bring up too many bad memories. Khawaja, Usman Khawaja saved Australia by scoring 145 runs in the first innings. And it could be said, and it's been said by a number of commentators who have written about the match afterwards, that the most important thing that Kawaja did was not get out. It's the most important thing that he did. If it was a short 2020 match, he would have needed to smash runs as quickly as he could to win the game. But this was a test match. It's a long form of the game. Perhaps it's not as exciting as someone who comes in and smashes boundaries in quick succession. But I'm sure that you can appreciate a slow 145 more than you can appreciate a quick 30 and out. If I can transfer that metaphor, I can't describe how discouraging it is for me, for other Christians and for the unsaved to see so many people in the Christian ministry losing their wicket. It's a reproach to the name of Christ. Calls into question everything that you have accomplished in your ministry, even if it was done with a pure heart. And it prevents you from going on to accomplish more for the Lord. If you lose your wicket, there's no more runs to be scored. 
I hope that you have great faith in what the Lord could accomplish through you. I hope that you've got big dreams. We should dream big when God is with us, when he's working through us. But in all of your hope for the ministry, in all of the great things that you hope you will achieve, do his word. Do his word. You know how to read it. You know how to study it. Do it. Personal holiness is an important foundation for a successful ministry. Fourthly and finally, Ezra decided to propagate God's law. In verse 10 of Ezra chapter 10, verse 10 of Ezra chapter 7, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You know, in Ezra's day, Babylon was a thriving, contemporary city. It was a place where even those who conquered the Babylonian Empire used to admire. And those who were in Jerusalem, when Ezra arrived back there in Jerusalem, had left Babylon some 70 years earlier. Imagine the things that have changed in Babylon in 70 years. Ezra could have made it the goal of his ministry to go over there to Jerusalem and to teach them about the advances in modern medicine. I'm sure there had been some. Or he could have gone over there and shared with those old-fashioned people in Jerusalem the joy of modern entertainment. I'm sure there were some cracking plays or dramas going on in Babylon at the time. And maybe he could have brought modern fashions to Jerusalem so that those Israelites wouldn't stand out so much from all the nations that were around them make it a bit easier for them. But you see, Ezra's heart wasn't burdened to bridge the gap between God's people and the world. That's not why God was working in his heart. Ezra realized that the people were in dire need. What of? Of the statutes and of the judgments of God's law. Above everything else, they needed divine truth. And this is a very important question for each of you to settle right now. What do people need most? What do people need most? And it's a question that you don't just ask at the end of Bible college. It's a question that you have to ask regularly. Because there are so many little rabbit's trails that we can go down and think, well, I'm going to add this, I'm going to add this. And before long, you've added so many things that there's no more God's word in your message. We need to prepare our heart or establish in our heart that we will teach God's word. I can't say this emphatically enough. People need the gospel. It's such a simple statement, but people need the gospel more than anything else. God didn't go to such lengths to send his only begotten son for something moderately important. For something that would be, you know, a bit of a help for some people who needed it. God sent his only begotten son because it's what everyone in the world needs. The gospel is vital. And you need to reflect that in your teaching if you want to have a successful ministry. It's got to be about the word of God. It's the scriptures. 
that can make even the man of God perfect or mature. That's what it says in 2 Timothy. It's the scriptures that can equip you for every good work in the ministry. The scriptures can do that. The word of God with a focus on the gospel needs to be our primary concern in our ministries. And if we start majoring on anything else, our ministry won't be a success. 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do you want to make a lasting difference in someone's life? The word of God abideth forever. Teach them the will of God through the word of God. It's very easy to start preaching your own wisdom or the wisdom of another person. There's much of it out there. But if you stick to the word, your ministry will have an eternal impact. You need to keep coming back to it. And so you've got some important decisions to make. Do you identify God upon your life? Will you prepare your heart to seek God's word, your heart? Will you place yourself under the word of God that you teach? And will you make the word of God the focus of your teaching? Whatever you decide, don't just stumble through your ministry. Make a decision and minister on purpose. Amen.